So it seemed lately that we've been talking about relationships and I can't, I can't really underscore the similarities um, between kind of people and atoms. And we talked last time about how ionic bonding is kind of a transactional relationship. It's a relationship based on, hey, I gave you something. It changed both of us. Um, so let's stick together. Covalent bonding is a little bit different. Covalent bonding is is a sharing. It's it's a uh, it's a more utopian uh, type of bond. But as we'll get to a little bit later, um, not all sharing is completely equal sharing. So ultimately, the goal of any bonding scenario is lower energy atoms. And even molecules and big structures and everything else, all they want to do is they want to be comfortable. And so their pursuit of comfort, that pursuit of all things to be as calm as possible, is what drives is what drives chemistry. Because if you think about it, everything happens, even when you have big things that happen, the goal of those big things in chemistry is to get to a lower state, is to get calm. So sometimes molecules and atoms and elements have to do drastic things like explosions or violent you know, reactions. They have to do drastic things to get to a lower energy state. And that's, that's really the, the nuts and bolts of, uh, of bonding, whether it be covalent or, or ionic bonding. So the key thing to remember for the sake of this conversation with just a few exceptions is that the magic number is eight. Everybody wants to have eight electrons around them. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for those eight electrons and they're willing to share. They're willing to come up with some sometimes bizarre arrangements, but they want to share to get to eight. And when we talk about covalent bonding, covalent bonding is two nonmetals and they're, there can be some, you know, metalloids, but for the sake of this conversation, we are really going to stick to the activities of non-metals bonding to each other. So the whole point, the whole key to this is to make sure that we are getting to eight electrons around every atom with some exceptions. You're going to have exceptions like boron, um, but everyone else generally wants to have eight electrons around them. And to visualize that, we use these Lewis structures. Oh, also um, hydrogen. Hydrogen only needs two around it um, because it's, it's so tiny, so it only wants to have two. So when we draw these Lewis structures, you have, you know, you have your little sticks and everything else. And remember, each single line represents two electrons. So... In doing so, you know, if we just have a hydrogen off by itself and it's got a line and let's say it's bonded to a carbon, the hydrogen's happy because the hydrogen now has two electrons. Its S orbital is good. Remember, the P's are there, but they they don't really, they're there, but they're not there. Um, think of the P's or think of, think of all the other orbitals as kind of the speedometer on your car. Um if you have, you know, just a basic economy car, your speedometer may go up to 150 miles an hour. In theory, your car can go that fast, but it's, it's in practice, it's not going to happen. 
that's really the way that orbitals are. Um, they're there in theory. They're there mathematically. But in practice, it, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. So we always want to shoot. And electrons travel in pairs, so remember that. We always want to shoot to have eight electrons around everybody. And sometimes those electrons aren't bonded, but we want... For a stable configuration, without you know talking about boron because boron is 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 an outlier. For that stable configuration, we want to make sure that there are eight electrons around um, around each atom. So, um, textbook has a lot of great examples, but I really wanted to touch on that. That eight is the magic number, and the kind of the ball and stick model that you see. That is with Lewis structures. That's just how we visualize the eight, how we lay it out in two dimensions to make sure that we can see what's going on in our in our bonding scenario. We want to make sure that everybody is happy because that's that's the key to having a covalent, a covalent compound is everybody's happy. Everybody's at eight. And if everyone's not at eight and we're not a polyatomic, then we need to kind of we need to restructure what we're what we're doing. And really, there's just some key um, some key things to, to focus on, like with Lewis structures. Um, don't overcomplicate them. Really do not overcomplicate them. They are very straightforward. The key is to get eight electrons around everybody and hydrogens kind of hydrogens are kind of space fillers. They only need two. So hydrogens are always going to be at the end. Carbon can be basically anywhere. Oxygen, here's a hint. Oxygen kind of links two groups together. And nitrogen, for pretty much, for the sake of this conversation, nitrogen will always have that lone pair. So carbon will want to form four bonds. Oxygen will form two. Nitrogen will form three. So carbon, four. Nitrogen, three. Oxygen, Two. So you look at those their position on the periodic table. Carbon is in that group four. Oxygen is group five. Um, excuse me. Carbon is in group four. Nitrogen and then oxygen going from left to right. So you can see the number of. And then if you go to some place, something like fluorine, fluorine only wants to have one one bond because it's only short one electron. So it's we're starting. Hopefully, you're starting to see that the periodic table makes sense. When we talk about, oh, position gives us an idea of behavior. Because that's, that's really what we use the periodic table a lot for, is if we need to find something similar, we're going to look at the periodic table and say, okay, well, I don't have this, but let's see if I have something that's in the same column, um, because they're going to behave, some, a lot of times they're going to behave very, very similarly. So when you look at those groups and how they line up, for the most part, that's how many, you know, that's how many electrons they are short. So it's the same thing. From the ionic bonding, when we looked at the group to assess the charge, it's the it's really the same thing on the non-metal side, is that in that it's just letting you know how many electrons I'm short. How many am I willing, you know, in an ionic situation, I would take them, but in the covalent situation, I am sharing them. So that's a little bit of the difference uh, between the two. We can also have, um, you can have multiple bonds between things. So the single bond is two electrons. Being shared, a double bond uh, is four electrons, and a triple bond is six electrons. So you can have multiple bonds being shared um, in in a situation, but you have to remember that you can't um, you can't exceed the number of, of 
total electrons available. So hydrogen can't double bond with anything. Hydrogen only needs two electrons. So that's a single bond. So you can't you, you can't really double bond to anything. But double bonds are pretty much fair game, you know, anywhere anywhere after that. Uh, and triple bonds, uh, carbon and nitrogen are the only ones that can triple bond. Because remember, oxygen is only looking for two bonds. So oxygen doesn't triple bond. But nitrogen will triple bond because that would, that would satisfy all of its, um, it, its need for three bonds. And carbon will do it. Um, and carbon does it a lot. It's, it doesn't like to do it, but it will. Um, carbon will do it. And then it still has um, the opportunity to have a single bond beyond that just because um, carbon needs, everyone needs eight, eight electrons. But the difference is nitrogen won't do it because nitrogen has that lone pair of electrons that stick out. So just some things to think about um, when you're looking at, um, when you're, you're looking at multiple bonding. It, it's something that, you know, I touch on. It, it comes back kind of when we go into, um, into the second half of this, uh, when we start talking about um, organic and biological chemistry, that's really where you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to really, really dig into kind of multiple, multiple bonding situations. Now, shape has always been something that for some reason has kind of thrown people for a loop, and I don't know why, um, because it's, it's pretty straightforward. The kind of the things to remember about shape is that everyone wants to be as far away from everyone else as possible. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of put out the FET models um, so that you can see, you know, how they respond. Because you can sit there and you can wiggle them and you can shake them. And you see that ultimately, even if you start pulling hydrogens towards each other, they want to get away from each other because like repels like. Each atom still has a cloud of negative electrons sitting there flying around the nucleus, and they want to be as far away from each other as possible. So what you see is that shape is generally dictated by the negative charge because that's all that you can, that's all that they experience is that negative charge from the electrons because remember the positive charge is in the nucleus. So the electrons are really running the show. So if you have nothing, oh, and the other key point, lone pair electrons alter shape because by the same principle, Lone pair electrons want to push things away so that they will be as far away from another charge as possible. So those two electrons are kind of spinning together, and they don't like to because they're both the same charge, but they've kind of gotten this kind of weird agreement that they're going to you know, stay together, but they don't want other electrons near them. So that in, in that position, if I have two atoms around a central atom, those two atoms want to be as far apart from each other as they can. So everything is based upon the central atom. So I have a central atom, two other atoms attached to that central atom. They want to be as far apart as they can. So they are going to be naturally 180 degrees away from each other. And this is an instance where there are no, no lone pair electrons on the central atom. If we have lone pair electrons on the central atom, then those electrons are going to come into play and they're going to start to push even harder, and they're going to push them farther away because they want their space. They want to be heard too. So in a case where there are no, there are no non-bonded or uh, lone pair electrons on the central atom, and that central atom has two, ele- has two other atoms around it, the arrangement is just going to be linear. They are going to be as far apart from each other, and that is a straight line. If 
you have three atoms around a central atom, and there are no lone pair electrons, then you have a trigonal planar arrangement. You have a th- you basically have a triangle, and on your linear, your linear is going to be 180 degrees apart. Your trigonal planar is going to be 120 degrees apart. Now, if we step up the complexity just a little bit, if we have four atoms around the central atom, the only arrangement you can have is tetrahedral. And for the sake of this conversation, if you have four atoms around that central atom, you will never have a lone pair along with those four atoms. So, in the instance, so to review, if there are no lone pairs, two atoms around a central atom will give you a linear arrangement. Three atoms around a central atom will give you a trigonal planar arrangement. And four atoms around a central atom will give you a tetrahedral arrangement. All right, so let's talk about if there are, let's talk about the two instances where there are um, lone pairs on the central atom. So if you have two, and we'll use water for an example. Water is H2O, so we have an oxygen in the middle, two hydrogens on either side. But if you drew your Lewis structure right, you'd find out that oxygen has two lone pairs of electrons. So those two lone pairs of electrons are pushing those two hydrogens even farther away from each other to where that bond is 109 is 109 and a half degrees. And we call that shape bent. It is pushing it away from each other. So definitely review those FET models so you understand what's going on with that shape and what is causing that shape to be altered. And it is merely the presence of those lone pair non-bonded electrons that is pushing everything farther away. Now, if I look at three, three atoms around a central atom, a perfect example of this is ammonia. It's NH3. Remember, the nitrogen has a lone pair of electrons. Those lone pair are going to push everybody out of that plane. So nitrogen is not a trigonal planar molecule. Nitrogen is actually a trigonal pyramid. It is a three-sided bottom, but it is a, it is a tri- what we will call a triangular pyramid in geometry. It's got a three-sided bottom, but it is, um, it is now a three-dimensional shape. It is, not, it is no longer planar. So those are the thing. Those are kind of what happens when we have these non-bonded pairs is they push everything out of the way. They're bossy. They push everything out of the way. And what will happen is non-bonded pairs will turn a linear molecule into a bent molecule. And non-bonded pairs take what you would think would be trigonal planar and make it trigonal pyramidal. So key things on shape. Great chart in the book. Great examples in the FET model. Review them and you will be fine. Last thing I want to talk about is um, polarity. And polarity arises from electronegativity. Electronegativity is basically how much I want to be kind of an electron hog. The biggest electron hog on the periodic table is fluorine. Fluorine is so close to having eight. And it's so small that those, those, um, those other protons are like, hey, I can get you there, but I'm going to steal everybody's almost still everybody's electrons. And that's why fluorine in and of itself, fluorine is a pretty reactive molecule because, or excuse me, a pretty reactive element because it really, really wants those electrons. It really wants to get to that eight so it can be happy. So electronegativity 
as you go from left to right, it increases. And as you go from t- uh, bottom to top, it increases as well. Fluorine is the most electronegative element on the periodic table. And electronegativity, if you think about it, it's just how badly I want to have those bond or how I want to have those electrons in some sort of covalent bonding. But if you have siblings, you understand that sharing is not always equal sharing. And that's kind of the point about polarity in an electronegativity is that in a bond, you may have sharing, but it's not this idyllic, oh, you know, 50-50 split. It's not, that's not the way it works. When you have a highly electronegative atom and an atom that is not electronegative, you're going to have unequal sharing. So those electrons don't spend half their time moving evenly between the two. They may live on kind of one side of the bond more often than not. And that gives rise to polarity because what bond polarity is, is you've created essentially a positive side where the electrons aren't and you have a negative side where the electrons are. So think of it, think of it kind of like a magnet. We've created a, you know, polarity. It gives us, you know, polar, it means that you have one end and then you have another end. So in a polar bond, you have a positive end and you have a, what we call more specifically, a partially positive end and a partially negative end. The partially positive end is going to be the less electronegative atom because it is losing what is essentially a custody battle over the electron. The more electronegative element in the bond is winning So it is going to have that electron around it more. So it is going to have more of that negative charge. So that is bond polarity in a nutshell. And there's math that you could do, but ultimately this is more of concepts. Um, This conversation that we are specifically having right now is more about concepts. Bond polarity is just unequal sharing. That unequal sharing is from... The, the idea of some elements want that electron more than others. So they want to fight harder for that electron. And when we look at it in space, when we start to, when we start to build molecules, you can look at the polarity of a molecule and it's all about canceling and symmetry. If I have an equal, it's like a tug of war. If I have an equal pull to the left as I do to the right, I may have polar bonds, but now I have a nonpolar molecule because I have an equal pull left to right or an equal pull up or down or an equal pull in three directions. But if my pull or my polarity, if it just doesn't look like if we were to make it like a tug of war, if the tug of war was going to be a tie, you're not going to have, there's no movement. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. So that's really the polarity of a molecule is is that would if this were a tug of war would that central atom move would the thing in the center move if it were a tug of war because it's unbalanced if all of my charges or excuse me all of my pull or all of my polarity balances then you have a nonpolar molecule take home nonpolar if you i have all nonpolar bonds i can only have a nonpolar molecule but I can have polar bonds in a molecule, and if they are canceled out by symmetry, then I have a nonpolar molecule. You're really going to have to read. It sounds complicated. It's not. Trust me. But the takeaway is, is that just think of it like a tug of war. If I draw my arrows and I say, okay, this one's going to go to the left, this one's going to go to the right, 
if they cancel in space, and remember, this is a three-dimensional puzzle sometimes, if they cancel in space, that molecule is nonpolar. If they don't, that means the molecule is polar. What is that? What does a polar molecule just mean? It means at the end of the day when we've done all the math that it doesn't cancel. Those forces don't cancel. And it gives rise to things like why water, like a lot of things are soluble in water, but oil isn't, um, which, you know, that's a, that's kind of a conversation for a later day. But I really just wanted to touch on the high points of covalent bonding so you can get a little more comfortable with what's going on, understanding, you know, that this isn't, don't overthink this stuff. This isn't hard. This isn't complicated. Do the right amount of thinking, the right amount of effort, and you will be fine with this. So, again, thanks for listening to Will This Be On The Test. Um, Again, please contact me. You know how to contact me if you have any questions. And I am very, very hopeful that you are reading and keeping up with your reading so you understand these concepts and that these conversations make more sense. Because if you're not reading, these conversations are going to make zero sense. And that's not what I'm here for. But, again, I'll do my part. I need you to do yours. Thank you very much.